Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good evening and welcome to the latest man on the post-European football podcast. I'm your host, James Rowe, and once again, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Scott Romero. Scott, good evening. How are you? I'm very well. Um, doing good. Looking forward to... Uh, there's some midweek action in Serie A and mm-hmm. looking forward to uh, the football over the weekend where my beloved swimming in town have got uh, just an outside push for the playoffs to see if we can do it or not. Yeah, well, it's, keep it keep right on to the end. It just goes to show how quickly things can change, can't it? Yeah, it was uh, not so long ago we were 17th, 18th, yeah. looking over our shoulder, shoulder if we were like, oh, oh crap, are we going to be in the National League? But then now we, we've got a chance to get in the playoffs. Yeah, well, that's good. It just goes to show how quickly things can change in football, but we knew that. Mm-hmm. Scott, I was going to start tonight with events, what happened yesterday in, uh, between Cagliari and Juventus. Would you like to tell the listeners uh, what exactly happened, for the, for those that don't know? Yeah, it's it's 2019, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and racism raises ugly head again. Um, Juventus won the game 2-0, um, thanks to goals from... Oh, my God, my mind goes blank. Uh, Leonardo de Bonucci and Moise Keane. There you yep. go. There you go. My mind goes back. And um, I saw something on Twitter today that there were 16 instant instances of um, Cavalry fans targeting a couple of the Juventus back black players. So you've got Alexandro, mm. Blaise Matuidi and Moise Keane. And um, it, it's quite harrowing and it's disgusting. And mm. we're now living in a time where it keeps going on and on, on and on and on again. I think this is the second or third time in Serie A this season where there's been instances of um, racial um, abuse in f- from the stands. We had the uh, the case where Kaladu Koulibaly um, on Boxing Day got racially abused against Inter Milan. And then he got sent off for I think it was two yellows, and you could hear it. It was it was quite deafening. Every time he touched the ball, you could hear the monkey chants, and mm. that spread over here to in the UK where Raheem Sterling has got vile abuse for the last couple of years from a couple of newspapers and on the pitch when they played against Chelsea and Callum Hudson Adoy got it just not not. Long, last week in Montenegro, uh, Montenegro, sorry, um, it's, it's just it's just quite bad. Um, but the aftermath of it was the worst. Where your teammate Leonardo Bonucci comes out and says he shouldn't have celebrated the way he celebrated after he scored. He got absolute dogs abuse. For 85 minutes before he scored the goal, he got mm. kicked. I watched the game yesterday. He got kicked from pillar to post by the Cagliari backline. Didn't didn't complain. He got booked for diving earlier on in the game, um, and he got booed after that. And then he got absolutely taken out on the touchline into the advertising ho- hoardings by um, Cagliari's left back. Um, that was quite a bad challenge and the Kyrie left back was on a yellow card and could have been sent off. But I'm I'm with like Raheem Sterling did it last week. He silenced the haters when he scored mm. and celebrated right in front of the Kyrie fans. I know the Kyrie keeper crying no, um, a very good goalkeeper in my eyes to to, to push them away. And then it got a lot worse because Blaise Matuidi got racially abused when on, on the pitch. And he was visibly upset when he spoke to Max Allegri on the touchline. And then he went up to the referee. And then if I was one of the Juventus players, I would have actually walked off. Mm. Uh, which they should have done. Yeah. But 
it's happened before. It happened a couple of weeks ago in South America where a Brazilian player called, I think his name is called Serginho, got racially abused in Bolivia and he just walked off the pitch and mm. he, he got a lot of praise for that. And the worst part was, was there's actually, there's a couple of worst parts. It had to take Cari's captain, Luca Cepatelli, to tell the Cari fans to stop doing this. And I give him much credit for this because you could hear it most games. But then the aftermath was, as I said earlier, um, Leonardo Bonucci comes out with stupid comments where he, he says it was racism is 50. I think he said racism is 50-50 and Moise Keane shouldn't have done what he did. And then Max Allegri, who is your coach, said that he shouldn't have did what he did with his celebration and then the calorie president said he, if it was Fernando Bernardeschi who celebrated what was the problem and it just it just smacks of just stupidity and rightly so all three have been heavily criticised today on social media and mm. Leonardo Bonucci has backtracked his comments and stuck an Instagram post of a picture in his Instagram story of him and Moise Keane and it just says say no to racism and I'm just thinking after what? he said what he said yeah after he said or what's what the point in posting it then yeah what are you doing you're just completely backtracking yeah. and yeah. he's He's come under heavily criticism today, and rightly so. And you've got Raheem Sterling coming out and saying things about Leonardo Bonucci on his Instagram. You've got other players like Mario Balotelli and, Sa- and Et Al. Balotelli got dogs abuse when he's in Italy. He gets abuse every week in France, and it's just it's disgusting. We're in 2019, guys, and it keeps going on. Well, my first... Um thoughts on it were Scott is I don't know if you remember do you remember hello you can you hear me yeah I can hear you yeah um, I'll just repeat my point when I first read the story when I first read the story I thought about uh, Fernando Liverani you know who he yes yes he used to manage Leighton Orient um, a couple of years ago yeah he Um, was if my memory serves me rightly, he was the first ever black player to represent Italy. He was indeed. Played for this happened, Lazio. This ha- yeah, this happened in, in 2003, yeah. which is only 16 years ago. Yeah. Now, if you compare that to England, where I believe Viv Anderson was the first black player to play for England, and that was in 1978. And I wonder, my first thoughts on it is... Is it a generational? Is it a generation thing? Is it it's obviously a country thing? Obviously down to education and things like that. Also closer to home where I live in the Netherlands. I know that PSV were heavily fined back in 2002 when there was um, there was racial elements in a home game against Arsenal in Eindhoven, and they were only fined a paltry 13,000 euros. I think it's going to take something highly courageous for all 11 players to walk off the pitch mm. in unison. You would hope to make the statement that it would never... It's unlikely it will happen in such a setting, but I'm just trying to give an example. Imagine it's the Champions League final where you've got the eyes of the world watching. No, the, the eyes of the world is on this specific game. It's the biggest um, yearly sporting event in football where the whole world watches it. Imagine if you have that in that particular final. It would take tremendous courage and it would be a great uh, point to to walk off in unison. And I just think that that players and and teammates and in the case of uh, Allegri, you know, this is a a 19-year-old young player who I believe has already represented Italy. Now, if I was him and you've already represented that, country and you're faced with that only I think what 10 days later not even that you have to wonder what's left for him in store representing the country for the remainder of his career if he's got let's just say if he's got 15 years left you know and you just think about the the way the world is now you know and education being a factor you know you think you see about people repeating what they hear from their parents and the environment and everything like that. And if you think of the vast spectrum, you know, people have to take responsibility for what they do and say. And I think in this case, you know, it's about a 19-year-old talented young player who's suffering this kind of abuse. And his captain didn't look after him. 
and his manager hasn't looked after him and you he must be feeling quite lonely and quite low at this precise moment in time. Yeah, his captain is Chiellini. Bonucci's no longer. Oh, oh okay, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, thanks for thanks for correcting that. Yeah. No, that's all right. Um, Chiellini said some good things today. Yeah, the... well, that that that's that's good, but I think it's going to take uh, maybe a protest walk off or things like that. But the, I think, from my point of view, racism is abhorrent, and in 2019 to still be talking about it just goes to show the depth of the problem. But I also hope I'm wrong, but I wonder if a protest of teammates walking off is really going to help. You know, I personally think it's down to education where you have to, not only the parents have to take responsibility for what they say around young children, but also maybe going into schools and things like that. Because there was a, I remember there was a a campaign, uh, there's been kick it out racism campaigns through the years, but the one slogan that always stuck with me was it's the colour of the shirt that matters. And I think that really does need to be drummed home now because it is the colour of the shirt that that matters. The 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 colour the colour of the 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 race and the creed is, is of no importance whatsoever. It's still a human being, in this case talented enough to be a professional footballer. And um yeah, even going back to Balotelli, I can imagine in, in Balotelli's case, you know, children can be so cruel. And for him to be uh, on the playgrounds, I think it was uh, was he first out started out at Palermo, did he not? Uh, no, Reggiana and then Reggiana. In... But I can imagine yeah. for him as a child going to school must have been horrific. And you know he gets a bad rep, Balotelli, for being a bit of a head case. He's obviously not of the bottle, but he's by no means a head case. And um, I, I, I think what he experience as a young child I think that forms him in his personality and traits today and I think you can't you can't criticize him for that and and for me it's all about education really and mm. um, as I say the point I made at the start of when we was talking about this is I just say the name uh Liverani you know for it to only be 16 years ago that uh, Italy first had a black player representing them that says all you really need to know, doesn't it? So you just can only hope that education is the way forward. It may take a, a generation or two, but uh, yeah, you can only hope that um, that things improve over time and we don't see these kind of um, things happening any more regularly than what they're happening now. Yeah, the only the, the downs that I've got a couple of... I'll make two last points about this because mm. I'm just thinking about it in my head. Um, heart of Hearts... The, I don't think the FIGC will do anything. They, no. ha- they haven't done anything in the past. Um, it, it begs belief that every time this has happened, the club, the fans of the club that that have been doing it, they just get a paltry fine and maybe a partial mm. closure. You've got to hit him where it hurts and sometimes yeah. have like points deduction. Yeah, um, that was my... That was my um, that's been my... Um, that's been my suggestion for years, yeah. and not just not just a, po- a point deduction of two points or three points. We're talking about double figures first and foremost. Yeah, you got to hit them where it hurts, like yeah, ten double points. figures at least. And, and 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 if it if it happens again and it happens again, okay, people could say our oh, relegation would be excessive, but you've got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, and my final point is this is not the first time this has happened at Calorie. This is the third year in a row, and it's the twice in two years that a Juventus player has been targeted. So in, so yesterday it was Moise Keane, um, t- last season it was Blaise Matuidi, and Blaise Matuidi, rightly so, won amazing plaudits for coming out afterwards and said um, some stuff last season about it. And then two years ago, I don't know if you remember, do you remember Sully Montari? Um, yeah. He played for Pescara. Yeah. And he played against Carrie and he was um, he was sent off during the game for protesting a, a, to the referee um, because he was getting racially abused in the, in the stands in Sardinia. And rightly so, just a couple of days later, his red card was rescinded. Mm. And the FIGC took a lot of slack, and it was very vile, it was disgusting. But as stated, I just feel they won't do anything. Um, Italian football is behind the times in this, and yeah. it's quite... it. It You can see it, and it's been happening for a long time, and nothing will be done. Yeah, well, let's hope that uh, even if there is a small bit of light at the end of the tunnel, that at least 
efforts will be made to try and make a small bit of progress and realise the situation at hand. We are now going to move on to uh, European upcoming fixtures. We have Champions League quarterfinals and Europa League quarterfinals. And I thought we'd start with, OK, it might be a bit strange in a European setting, but a Premier League game between Tottenham and Manchester City. Uh, Scott, how do you see this one going? Um, I know we were talking a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, but I still think this will go to extra time and penalties. Um, remember, remember, this is the first leg. Yeah, yeah I know. I th- I still think it'll be two draws over the two legs because oh, okay. um, Tottenham. I know they've had a, a couple of wobbles in the Premier League. They lost to Southampton. They lost late to Liverpool at the weekend, and they got some problems at the back. But also today, they're playing in their brand new stadium, which mm. is going to be fantastic for them. That's a couple of years in the in the waiting do you remember a couple of years ago where um, the stadium was getting demolished and it was just moving up up on the road in White Hart Lane they had to play a couple of years at Wembley but finally that has come their way and I just think that would help the fans the club to get that first Champions League game under their belts mm. at the new stadium but they're coming up against a very 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 <laughs> a good side in Manchester City who just they don't look like losing and I just think this will be two well equipped teams in the uh, in the latter stages of Champions League and I, I feel it could be a draw and I feel it could be a draw over both legs OK so your prediction for the first leg is uh, I think it will be one all. OK I'm going to go for a 2-1 victory for Manchester City it won't have escaped listeners attention that I am an Arsenal fan but I try to remain as professional as possible you know I've uh, obviously in the position of interviewing professional players on a man- uh, professional players and managers on a regular basis including Oscar Janssen who used to play for Spurs where we spoke at length about Tottenham and Deadly King so it's not as if I'm an Arsenal fan and I just think oh Tottenham they'll lose i I'm always professional at all times, specifically on podcasts as well and when speaking to professional players and managers. I think that this is going to be a tight victory for City. I can't see City winning comprehensively in London. Uh, Obviously, you rightly say about Spurs' new stadium. I think they'll be up for it. I think they debut in their new stadium tonight at home to Crystal Palace. They do indeed. And I I just think it'll be a, a cagey game, but I can just see... City edging uh, edging to a 2-1 victory. So it'll be very interesting. But I agree with you. You know, this is... Uh, we got a couple of our predictions right for the last 16 and I failed miserably. And my <laughs> Atletico are going to bang the drum and they're going to knock Juventus out. So I, what do I know? We so, were both wrong on that occasion. We were both wrong on that one. But I was also slightly disappointed in, in the likes of Griezmann and, and, and Godin specifically in the second leg. But congratulations to Juventus. We're now going to move on to the second tie of the Champions League quarterfinals and that is Liverpool at home to Porto what are your thoughts on that one um, well they played each other in around the 16 last season and Liverpool were in cruise control and won the first leg 5-0 and Porto won at the weekend against uh, Sporting Braga if my memory yeah. says me right they won 3-2 yeah. and some of the defending in that game from a certain individual who had a clash with Edin Dzeko in the previous round. It was quite laughable. And I can see Liverpool making some very light work with Porto in the first leg and maybe and potentially putting the tie to bed early like they did last year against Manchester City and against Porto. And I just think they could be too strong for them in the first leg. OK, so your prediction is? Uh, I can see a Liverpool 3-0 victory. OK, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Ooh. I remember you really? saying last time you, were, yeah. you could see this happening. Yeah, because there's always, you only have to look at the history books, there's always one team who reaches the last four that nobody expects and you can look back long into the history books. And for me, with the likes of Brahimi and the likes of a, a competent manager in Sergio Consasal and the second leg being in Porto as well. You know, yes, Liverpool won in Munich, they didn't win in Belgrade, they didn't win in Paris, and they didn't win in Naples. And yes, this game was at home in, uh, at Anfield, and they drew 0-0 with Bayern Munich in the last 16. And I just think this Porto side, 
are just going to be slightly underestimated by Liverpool. They have a, a Premier League game uh, Friday before, and it's no, uh, it's, no secret, they, it's no secret that they're gunning for their first league title in 29 years. And I just think Porto will be slightly underestimated. And I think Constancao will rally the troops, and I my prediction for this one is going to be a 1-1 draw. Ooh. We are now going to move on to the third quarter final, and that is Ajax against Juventus. If I can just give you a quick heads up, since the draw was made, uh, there's been lots of Ajax fans and lots of Dutch um, Dutch fans of, of football and Ajax fans saying, "Oh, Ronaldo's not playing. Ronaldo's not playing. We've got a brilliant chance." Upon which my point is this. Um, Ajax are not only playing Juventus now, they're dealing with a manager who has tremendous tactical ability in Max Allegri. And this is a manager who you saw when Juventus knocked out Tottenham a few years ago, makes two substitutions and, and the game turns in an instant. And Juvent- Ajax fans seem to think, I get the impression from them, Scott, that they think they're playing Cristiano Ronaldo, they're playing Juventus. And more importantly, they're playing a... Uh, a Juventus manager, a Juventus team under the manager of Max Allegri, who, with his tactical ability, will win this tie over two legs. Uh, at least that's my thoughts on it. Um, my prediction in the home leg in Amsterdam is a 2-1 victory for Juventus. I just think with the tactical news of um, of Max Allegri, Ajax as well, they're playing. Uh, I believe they're playing Emmen away at Emmen tonight, and they've also got. Uh, to visit the weekend, they've closed the gap to PSV for um, only two points. Uh, only two points. The Eredivisie program fixtures have been um, all readjusted to favour Ajax in the event that they reach the semi-final. Oh. Much to the dismay of the likes of the Graafschap and Groningen, because they, you know, they're fighting against. In the case of the Graafschap, they're fighting against relegation. And the match they had planned at home to Ajax, which was on a certain day, on a certain time, has now been changed. In the eventual um, point that Ajax reached the semi-final, I can understand the clamour for Dutch football and the boost this will give. But take one round at a time, one game at a time. And I just get the impression that, you know, from the people I've spoke to, it's all, oh, Ronaldo's not playing, he got injured on international duty, he might not play. But what about the rest? You know, Blaise Moutidi, I spoke with him, who was at Clairefontaine with him not so long when they were young, when they were young boys. And he said about the the progress that Moutidi made, you know, it's just tremendous to see him now going on to be a World Cup winner and to be playing for Juventus. And I just think, yes, it was tremendous for Ajax to, to dispose of Real Madrid in the way they did. But um, but you're facing a, a manager now who has tremendous tactical ability, which Solari didn't have. And I think this will be a bridge too far for Ajax. And I'm going for a 2-1 win for Juventus in Amsterdam. Yeah, um, I can see what you're going on about Allegri. Um, those two changes were last year. I think he brought on Licksteiner and... I think it was Dybala or Mandzukic mm. and it completely changed the game and it freed Juventus up and they won the game 2-1 um, and they got to they got Real Madrid in the latter stages in that epic game this time a year ago where uh, yeah. Gigi Buffon um, had his uh, his moment of madness and the, the Ronaldo penalty um, I, I agree completely Juventus are uh, they're playing with the handbrake off in Syria. Um, they've not been playing well for a while. Um, they got beat just before the international break away at Genoa. Um, I think they needed to get a defeat in their system in Syria. Um, last night they played probably in second or third gear. Calorie not until probably about the 80th minute. Didn't really test them. And they scored at the right time. They played Empoli at the weekend on 1-1-0. I didn't get to catch any of that. Um, but... Um, haven't seen bits and pieces they, they, they struggled to break Empoli down so I just wonder if they've got an eye on the Champions League even though they're so far ahead in the champion uh, in Serie A they've got um, a big game on Saturday um, evening where they at home to AC Milan mm. and that's a massive game for both clubs this season um, Juventus are only probably about four wins away from winning Serie A and they've been so dominant without actually playing very well um, 
I'm going for a 3-1 away. Uh, it's the first leg's in Amsterdam, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, so Correct. I'm going to go for a 3-1 Juventus win. But I will say that Ajax will give them a good go. Because Ajax, I caught glimpses of their game against PSV at the weekend. And they played pretty well. It was yeah. a, sh- a shame that the right-back... Um, well got sent yeah. off probably for one of the worst challenges I've seen in a while yeah. worse than Thomas Muller's um, super kick to Talia Fico in, yeah, in, last December, December. in December yeah I think yeah. Um, Ajax will give him a game and the, the young kids have been doing brilliantly for the season they have and David Nieres in particular yeah. you know, he's, just, he's just so quick I mean I remember if listeners want to look it up he scored a tremendous goal uh, last season at home to Venlo and uh, real quick thinking real great finish you know it's um, obviously they're riding a quest away but as I said before on a previous pod Ajax haven't won the league for, obviously for five seasons so they know what's important they know what's got to be done yes it was wonderful to beat Real Madrid but um, they're going away to Emmen to, uh, tonight in the Eredivisie. And, um, or, no, I believe it's tomorrow, actually. I think there's games tomorrow. Uh, yeah, tomorrow, sorry. Tomorrow, they go away to Emmen, who drew 2-2 at home to PSV. And they're in the top flight for the first time in their history. So um, they're, they're, they've done ever so well to, to stave off relegation fears. But it will go to the final day and it could well be could even go to goal difference. We're now going to move on to the last Champions League quarter-final, Scott. This is Manchester United against Barcelona. What's your opinions on that one? um, Barcelona, I didn't get to see the game yesterday. Barcelona were away at Villarreal and um, I think they went 2-0 up, 4-2 down, (laughs) (laughs) 4-4. A bit bit crazy and it's it's good that it was shown on uh, British TV. Um, La Liga's been on ITV4 for like the last six to seven weeks. That is good news. It's good news. And it's also on Premier Sports and Eleven Sports, but it looks like Eleven Sports uh, will probably lose the rights. But Barcelona, um, I don't get to watch much La Liga as I would like. Um, I catch glimpses now and then. I think, honestly, they will be too strong for Manchester United because United have hit a blip recently. They lost yesterday 2-1 to Wolves. Wolves are a very good side. But Wolves have had some really weird results this season where they're very good against anyone in the top six to top ten. But they've also lost to Huddersfield, lost drop points. I think they've And Burnley as well. Burnley, yeah. yeah. So they're very good against the teams around them, but not very good against the teams who you expect to beat. Um, evidently so. To, for Man United to get as far as they can, as, as they have done, sorry, this far with a team that was under Mourinho and so pedestrian and so boring and Ollie's come into this job and done so well and hit a blip recently. It's brilliant. And you sort of feel that the good f- factor was back at United. You see um, the fans look like they were enjoying going to football. I've got a couple of colleagues at work who are a Man United fan. I've got a good friend who's a Manchester United fan, um, Craig, who... Um, he said he was really enjoying watching the football under under Solskjaer because under Mourinho it was really tepid and really bad. But I think this could be just a game too far for them. Indeed. Well, um, hello to Craig. I will say nice for him to get a shout out on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I um, I think it's going to be a European game where I think Barcelona will go through, but I think this tie will be won in Barcelona. Yeah. And I've, my prediction for this match is 2-2. I've just got a feeling it will be a draw. I think Barcelona will not necessarily keep powder dry. I think the people saying when whenever Barcelona don't win a game, it's always one of shock. But history will tell you they always struggle away to be real. Always have difficulty away to be real to put them away. And uh, for me, it was no surprise. A draw was priced at... Um, just under 5-1 to one yesterday here in the Netherlands and I decided to take full advantage of that and put two euros on it so I'm feeling quite pleased quite now but uh, I just think with home advantage I don't think Barcelona will put Manchester United away comprehensively my prediction is 2-2 two, two. I, I will say Barcelona will win 2-1 and I think Messi will do 
will run rings against Smalling and Jones. Cause... He could, either of them could have the game of their lives. Yeah. You just, you just never know. You know, you see about getting much criticism and, and things like that and Solskjaer signing a three-year deal. You know, this is tournament football mm-hmm. where... I mean, they looked out for the count uh, at home, uh, home to Paris Saint-Germain and things turned on its head. So just goes to show that anything can happen. Scott, we are now going to move on to the Europa League and a match that I will be attending next Thursday, and that is Arsenal against Napoli. Um, first and foremost, I'd like, like to make it quite clear, particularly to Arsenal fans on social media, that Napoli are not and have never, have ne- have never been an Italian West Ham. I don't understand where these observations come from. They have some very, very good players, and I stand by my point. If Arsenal do not win this game, we will not go on to win our first European trophy for 25 years. Um, I I don't know if it's just uh, overconfidence from some point of view, but you know this is a very difficult side under the guidance of a manager who's won the Champions League three times. And yes, it's everybody excited about how well Arsenal are doing under Emery, and we are doing well. But this is an Ancelotti who's won the Champions League three times. The likes of Kubali, Milik, Dries Mertens, who nobody is talking about, and I know of him from his time at FC Utrecht and PSV here in the Netherlands, where he made such tremendous progress and he's lightning quick. He also had a very good World Cup. And um, my prediction for the match next Thursday is that Arsenal will win 2-1. But Arsenal have got to learn the lessons from the Atletico home match last April where we drew 1-1 and then set ourselves up for a difficult away day. I can understand full confidence, but this is a team who are second in Serie A, have a tremendous manager, a good group of players and the second leg at home. This will not be easy. And um, I just think that some Arsenal fans, yes, it's great to be riding the crest of a wave of, of 10 matches consecutively winning at home and a new, uh, fresh um, um, a fresh way of doing things under Emery. But I just think in some quarters, fans are getting a little bit carried away. My prediction is 2-1. Uh, maybe I'm a bit of an old romantic, but listeners know that anyway. But uh, I wonder what your thoughts on it are. Um, I actually have the Napoli game on, on the background. They're away at Empley at the moment, and they're actually 2-1 down. They conceded while we've been recording. It was, OK, that's a good omen. <laughs> they were, it was 1-0 at half-time. Um, Selinski for Napoli scored an absolute wonder goal, and if anyone te- gets to check it out, please do, because it was an absolute belter. But um, Napoli conceded from a set-piece, and they look a bit weary. But in their last two Serie A games against Udinese and, and Roma, they struck four. And honestly, against Roma on Sunday, it could have been about eight or nine. They were that good. Roma were pedestrian, so sloppy, and Napoli just took them to the cleaners. Um, they've got this style of playing that they play like a four-four-two counter-attacking style of football, which has got them. Plaudits uh, under Ancelotti it's different to Sari Ball the main component that they had last season Jorginho he's gone to Chelsea and Sari Ball is left as well so they've got a different style of football to play and they look so dangerous they've got their front four is basically Callahan, Mertens Insigne Milik and you've got their midfield is, is fantastic. You've got Alan, Fabian Ruiz, Zielinski is one of my favourite players and he's been probably one of the best players in Italy for a good couple of years in central midfield. He's up and coming, he's Polish, uh, international and he's such a wonderful player to watch. Fabian Ruiz has probably been the signing of 2018-2019 in Serie A, signed for Albertis for 20-25 million. And just mm. took to Serie A like a duck to water. The only problem that I would say with Napoli is their left back in Mario Rui. Um, they're missing Fuzi Golan. Gulan picked up a horrible knee injury last season. He's just been eased in gently this season. But he's was a fantastic uh, fulcrum for them for a good couple of years until he picked up his knee injury. And they have uh, Mario Rui at left back. He's not the best understudy and he can be get at and he's very clumsy and he's a bit erratic and quite hot-headed so if he if i would probably say he would probably play right side of midfield for arsenal next week um yeah. maybe lacazette maybe Aubameyang. if he could get get at him it will cause problems i could see this being a draw 
Mm. And then scoring, I, a scoring draw? Oh, obviously a scoring draw, I would okay, say. Cool. You never know with a nil-nil. Mm. I mean, I went back to, uh, what was it, October 2017 now when I went back to watch Arsenal Middlesbrough draw nil-nil on a Saturday afternoon. So it's not, it's not always golden days of golden tickets coming back for Arsenal matches from Amsterdam where you choose absolutely... Um, Absolutely tremendous matches. You always take your money and, and you uh, make your choice. But, um, yeah, really looking forward to a top-notch quality game. And uh, as I've been saying on a couple of Arsenal pods as well that I've been doing lately, this Europa League is anybody's. Yeah, definitely. You know, this Europa League is anybody's. And, you know, this is a, a great opportunity for Arsenal. And um, I could not give a monkeys about the Champions League, personally, because I was 11 years old when I saw my team win a European trophy for the first time as a young boy. And that's the last memory I have of of celebrating Arsenal winning a European trophy. I was still at school. I've been living in Amsterdam for more than a decade. It shows you how long ago it was. And I just, I just in an ideal world, I want us to win this, champ- this Europa League and go into the Champions League. Because, yes, we've made tremendous strides under Emery, but participation is fine. You know, 20, a quarter of a century. I mean, you look back to how politics and sport and everything was back in them days in comparison to now. Yeah. You know, it's such a long time ago. And as I've been stating on different pods, Scott, you know, the, for, for, for the Arsenal fans that know our special 1994 was, you know, it's a wonderful memory to have. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. It just goes to show how, I mean, it's it's one of the fondest memories I have supporting the club for more than 30 years. And if we don't win this European trophy this year, I'll be bitterly disappointed because it's a, tr- a tremendous opportunity. But uh, I just think that some fans are speaking a little bit too easy of Napoli. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we not come up short, but just just might just kind of sound the alarm to, to just be aware in that respect um, we're now going to move on to uh, Slavia Prague against Chelsea I had the honour of um, interviewing Mick van Buren the Dutch Slavia Prague striker um, about a year and a half ago now and he told me about the tremendous team ethic that Slavia Prague have I think he scored in the previous round as well against uh, against Sevilla and he said about, you know, when they play the derby against Sparta, if they win, they get like the key to the city and they're treated like legends, you know, for winning that game. I think Chelsea are going to be in for a surprise this uh, this match. I'm not saying that Slavia Prague are going to win. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. But I think people that are saying, oh, Chelsea have got a free bye and, you know, it's just Slavia Prague are being very disingenuous. Um, there's always surprises in this competition, as we know, only too well. And I think with home advantage, um, I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw between Slavia Prague and Chelsea. What do you think, Scott? Um, I, wa- I, I, can, oh, I won't agree with you, but I can see where you're coming from. I will say that uh, the Czech side will give Chelsea a game. Um, Chelsea have been very off-colour recently and were very lucky to pick up a, a result against Cardiff. Not with the offside goal. Uh, that was that was disgusting, and Neil Warnock was rightly rightly right to go off his head. Um, but as you said, there is that team togetherness with um, Slavia Prague because you could see how much it meant to them when they knocked Seville out in that epic uh, that epic second leg, which had everything. I was thinking it was going to go to penalties, and mm. then 118th minute. Yep. Simon Kier having not the best of time on the on the goal line, couldn't get past to clearing the goal. It trickled in, but I would say that they will give Chelsea a game, but with the the talent that Chelsea have, they sort of rotate between a Premier League eleven and a Europa League eleven. I just think they would be too strong for them for the first leg and overall, so I'm just saying a two nil late Chelsea win. Interesting. We're now going to move on to the third one. We have two more quarter finals in our roundup. I hope the listeners are enjoying. We normally have a bit of a around about half an hour mark pod, but obviously with the predictions for both Europa League and Champions League, it's always going to be a little bit longer. So we hope you're enjoying it. Uh, be it out against Valencia. Uh, this is kind of like two cousins matching up, you know, trying to get the 
the right school grades kind of thing and praise from their parents and that, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, what do you think is going to happen between Valencia and Villarreal, Scott? Uh, Villarreal have been doing pretty well recently and they've lost... I think they won a couple of games before the international break and I sort of said off, off, off the cuff that they might just chuck this tie in and say just concentrate on getting out of La Liga but the last couple of games they uh, they took Barcelona last night and really should have beaten them and were 4-2 up with just a couple of minutes left and got messied and Luis Suarez but Valencia are just pushing Getafe and Alaves for that last Champions League mm. spot and Valencia have drawn so many games this season they've been so inconsistent but they're in my eyes they're clicking at the right time and I just wonder if Marcelino's side will probably think about this and will go for this against Villarreal and I can see Valencia coming up on top in both in both legs interesting interesting my first thoughts are I think it was last December when Valencia were demanding the resignation of Marcelino and he was under tremendous pressure. I can understand your point with BLAL with wanting to stay in La Liga, but if you think for, I think the population of that community is only 60,000 people and um, they reached the Champions League semi-finals in 2006 and were very, very unlucky. Um, I think they're going to take, you know, this is an opportunity for them to possibly reach a European final as well. I think with home advantage, I think this is why I tip BLAL to win the um, the home leg. My prediction is that BLAL will win the home leg 2-1 um, and then Valencia will win the uh, return leg in Valencia. And um, I don't know how that's going to pan out in terms of goal difference and aggregate scoring and away goals and everything. But I just think with home advantage, you wonder how much um, energy would have been taken out of them for... Um, for the match uh, against Barcelona and really, really pleased for Cazorla that he's enjoying his football again, making tremendous passes, coming back from a very, very bad injury. But this just goes to show the, the quality of the, the Spanish league. I mean, you touched on it being on ITV4. I'm, I'm lucky enough with the internet subscription I have to watch Premier League games and La Liga games on a regular basis. It's not always the specific game I want to watch. But in sometimes you get the likes of uh, the Sevilla derby and Sociedad against Espanyol, even in some cases, and, and lots of different things. And the depth of what a league should be mm. is everything it actually is. You know, people say, oh, oh it's just a two horse race, blah, blah, blah. But you've got, you know, so much quality going all the way down. You only have to look into Huesca, who were dead and buried at, at the first, second part of the season. And they've had, like, you know, three, I think they've had. Uh, three wins in their last six matches so it just goes to show and like the likes of uh, Aleo Belicano who've been struggling held Aleo Betis at home so there's tremendous quality in that league I just think this will be a, a Spanish head-to-head well, I can see BLAL coming out on top 2-1 in this instance Interesting um, I will say about Huesca um, they did give Real Madrid an absolute game yeah. and a half on also, Sunday. Also, and they looked dead and buried at the start of the mm. season, where it looked as if, you know, I'm not, it looked with the greatest respect, uh, not trying to give any disrespect to any team, but it looked from afar as if you don't belong in this league. And they fought back tremendously well to give themselves a chance of uh, of survival. OK, it's very slim, but they need, they need to receive... Tremendous plaudits for how they fought back because it looked at, I think, in October, November time as if it was nigh on impossible. So they've done tremendously well. We're going to move on to our last um, Europa League quarterfinal to wrap up this segment, Scott, and that is Benfica against Frankfurt. What do you think as regards to Benfica and Frankfurt? Well, I managed to cut maybe the last 20 to 25 minutes of Eintracht Frankfurt versus Inter. I was very, very impressed with the German yeah. side. Honestly, they could have won that second leg 4-5-0 if it wasn't for Handanovic uh, in the Inter goal who's making saves left, right and centre. Left, right and centre, and that's been the story of Inter's season. Handanovic has been the saviour for them on more than one occasion. I was very impressed with Luka Jovic, who has been the star of the Bundesliga this season. A guy um, with some demons when he was at Benfica. Um, 
Frank Folk managed to get him on loan. I think they have a, a clause in in their loan offer to make him permanent, and I just wonder if they will get an offer in the summer. Um, that is going to be gargantuan, and it's just going to blow everyone's mind away. He's just such a wonderful player to watch. If any, the the goal he scored against Inter was absolutely fantastic, and they've also got um, Sebastian Haller, who is the French striker. Ante, yeah, he's Utrecht. Utrecht, yeah, they've got Ante Rebic, um, sometimes a bit hot-headed. Um, they've got a, a fantastic front three. Uh, is, it Jet, is it Jetro Williams? Does he Jetro, uh, Jetro Williams, yeah, yeah. also ex-PSV. Ex-PSV left-back. Um, I think he's been playing in midfield for a little bit for them against, yeah. for this season. I, I was such amazed by their fans they took 13,000 to San Siro and yeah. in the bits that I saw they just never stopped singing it was just a fantastic atmosphere for them um, I th- I think they will do Benfica over two legs I think but, uh, Frankfurt will cause a lot of problems for anyone yeah. in, in the semi-final in the fi- I think they will get to the final you took the words right out of my mouth I was about to say that uh, I was about to say that I've said on a few Arsenal pods as well that this Frankfurt side will reach the final. Similar to the Champions League, there's always one team that reaches the last stages. And in this particular competition, Ajax reached the final, Marseille reached the final, Dnipro reached the, reached the final. This Frankfurt side absolutely blitzed a Europa League group with Lazio and Marseille, last year's finalists. Not just at home, but also away. And we know Marseille and Rome are difficult away days. Mm. And as you say, they've got tremendous players with tremendous width as well. I mean, Rebic provides tremendous width, as does Jodelo Willems. And I just think this is their time. I mean, they were, I think they were priced at 8-1 to one to win in the San Siro. Really? And that, That's yeah, good value. Think, that is very yeah, good value. I remember sticking a euro on it and being quite pleased. But, you know, you just have fun. That's the most important thing. But I just think, you know, if you just look, um, I think we discussed it on, on a previous pod earlier on in the season. You only have to look at the qualifying rounds of this competition to realise how many teams, big teams, fell by the wayside. Basel never qualified. Feyenoord never qualified. I think uh, Apoel Nicosia also not. You know, and um, you've, there's, there's big teams that fell at, at the qualifying hurdles. You know, um, Feyenoord were were taken to school by Trenzin from Slovakia. And um, it just goes to show there are no easy games in Europe. I, I think I think we've reached a stage now where people seem to think if it's not Real Madrid or Barcelona, everybody else must be pub team. But nothing could be further from the truth. I think this is um, I think this is Eintracht Frankfurt's time. And uh, I think that, you know, I think I believe they reached the final as well in 1987, I think. Yeah, and, I was um, born. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think that they're just going to do it. And um, I wouldn't count anything out. I saw Benfica play Ajax here in Amsterdam last October and they were awful, just ultra-conservative, not the tremendous attacking football that you associate with Barcelona, but they have a new manager now. And their left-back, Alex Grimaldo, looks a very, very good player. It will be very interesting to see what happens. I think this match will be a... 1-1 1-1 draw and I think that Frankfurt will win the second leg in Germany I'm going for Frankfurt winning both legs interesting well Scott I think the listeners will have enjoyed our predictions tonight they can get in touch with us and tell us if we are complete head cases or even if they agree <laughs> yeah, how, how wrong? can they get in touch with you Scott I was going to say how wrong we're going to be um, before I give my Twitter I just wanted to say um, a big well done to um, Strasbourg for over the weekend who won the, yes. the Coupe de la Ligue uh, um, and it was on penalties against Gangon in Lille um, just I think it was their their official Twitter page English Twitter page tweeted out uh, I think it was maybe about nine, ten years ago. They were bankrupt and almost mm. playing in the third, uh, third tier of French football, or I think it may be the fifth tier if memory serves me right. And the next season they will be in the qualifying stages of the Europa League, and that is a massive well done to Strasbourg. 
Here, here. I second that. And I think if you are a domestic cup winner, you should go straight into the group stages. Yes, completely why agree. You, why should you have to faff around with uh, qualifying stages? And we know how difficult they are, and they get even more difficult. But tremendous penalty as well. Did you see the winning penalty? I haven't, no. I've got the... It, I... was, a tr- it was a delicious penalty. And I thought <laughs> what the manager said as well. If it, if it, The manager said if he'd have missed it, I'd have killed him. And I can <laughs> understand that. I can understand the emotion. But it was a tremendous. It's one of those penalties. When you see a penalty like that, you, it gets you off your seat. And I know people will say, "Oh, it's just a penalty." There are penalties, and then there are penalties. Reminds me very much of Arangis from um, Bayer when he smashed the uh, the penalty against Brazil in the World Cup in 2014. I that lifted me off my sofa. That's that um, that penalty because he hit it so hard. And the winning penalty for, for Strasbourg last Saturday, if you can look it up on YouTube, it's a delicious penalty. I will check that out. I've got the League One, League uh, highlights, sorry, not League One. League One is a, a league in the UK. And League yeah, R, League Uh. League Uh. I think yeah. a few people get that mixed up. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Scott underscore Munro. I'm, I think I'm 85 away from 1,000 now, so that's quite yeah, good. Yeah, let's try and get you up, eh, Scott? Yeah. The, the uh, I was going to say get the hashtag Scott to one thousand, but no. Yeah, well, you never know. You know, I mean, you'll you'll notice that as you go up, you know, it's not a popularity contest. Oh you, God, no. The the most important thing is that you stay true to yourself and take responsibility for what you do and say, and that's very important. And uh, but I must say, I mean, I remember the days when I had only sixty six followers, and I'm now only fifty five short of three thousand. Wow. Um, I remember those days, and uh, you know, you start slow and you build up. The more followers you get, the more openings you get in terms of opinion for this, or can you do this, or can you do that? And it comes back to you know what you can. Um, if you take responsibility for what you say and you know what you say. Nine times out of ten, people will always want to to speak to you in that respect. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. And uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Thanks, man. You're good. And listeners can get in touch with me at uh, at James Rowe Anel. You can let me know if I'm a little bit of a old romantic for coming all the way from Amsterdam for Arsenal Napoli uh, next uh, Thursday and returning on the morning of Brexit. So it'll be very interesting <laughs> to see if the Dutch actually let me back into my home. So it'll be very interesting. So find out, tune in the next pod to see where where exactly I'm recording from. Uh, listen, if we'd finally like to um, point you in the direction of uh, the Man on the Post um, Man on the Post podcast network, featuring the likes of Man on the Post Extra Time and Unusual Efforts, where there's something for everybody, we'd like to thank you for sticking with us in an extended podcast tonight. We obviously know due to predictions and everything, we didn't want to waltz over it, we didn't want to paint over it, we wanted to give you something to remember, and you heard it here first, Frankfurt will reach the final. But uh, we hope you enjoy it and feel free to follow and retreat. And finally, always remember to keep your man on the post.